Welcome to our Palliative Interventional Oncology podcast series. Today, we will be discussing effective communication with your patient and family. My name is uh, Sean Totten. I'm a professor of radiology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. I'm joined today by a close friend and colleague, Dr. Frank Vicini. He's an interventional radiologist at VIR Chicago. He's also a longtime leader in uh, the SIR, the SIO. He has been a great contributor to our field, so I'm very excited to have him discuss today's topic. Frank? Thanks for having me, Sean. Appreciate the invitation. We're going to jump right into it. So the topic for today's podcast is on communication with your patient and their family. It's a critical part of you know, establishing that rapport with the patient, establishing confidence, laying out your goals, and making sure that your goals align with the patient. So, Frank, you have been in practice for a long time now. Tell Fair us, enough. how do you first meet that patient, break the ice, and kind of establish that rapport in a new you know, cancer consult? Yeah, Sean, thanks a lot. I, I spend quite a bit of time with the patients face-to-face, and we all talk about the importance of clinical care in IR, but certainly you know me and those that know me know we take at VIR Chicago clinical care extraordinarily seriously, and we believe that's the foundation for the relationship. When you think about the origin of interventional radiology and, and being a very procedurally focused specialty, not really having as much clinical training very early on and now watching it evolve till today where our fellows and our residents are spending a great deal of time learning clinical care, they're really learning the foundation. So we run three freestanding outpatient clinics where we see our patients. That's in addition to our eight sites of service where we perform these procedures. And we make sure that when we're doing cases like this, the interventional oncology and palliative care cases, all of those patients without exception get seen in the clinic. That allows us to have that foundation. They're scheduled for a significant amount of time, sometimes well over an hour. Uh, You can count on those patients generally not coming in alone. They're unlike many of the other patients we might see with other interventional radiology treatable conditions. These patients are coming in with their families. They're coming in with their friends. Sometimes they're coming in with physician friends that are pretty well-educated. They're coming in with a huge amount of data that they found on the internet, and they come with a ton of questions. So we're going to make sure that we allot enough time for those patients. We're going to sit down with them. We're going to spend a great deal of time understanding where they are in their diagnosis. Some of these folks, it's a brand new piece of news. Some have been dealing with it for years. Uh, But those are the type of foundations we're going to be establishing very early on. So when you first walk into that new consult and you, you know, the patient, let's just say it's a liver-directed therapy patient who uh, has HCC or they have colorectal metastases and they've been referred to you and they've got their family there, you know, just walk me through Hi, Dr. Frank Vicini. Like, how do you break the ice? How do you sort of get them feeling good about the conversation that you're going to have? So we are seeing those patients oftentimes after their medical oncologist, radiation oncologist, surgical oncologist have seen those patients. And they may have 
uh, some really good information. They may not have some good information. Our nurses and, and medical assistants are often in there before I walk in, and that's going to give me the time to review the notes from my colleagues. Uh, it's going to give me some time to really dive in and try to understand a little bit about the patient and the imaging and, and what's available. And I think that's really the point, Sean, is it's all about options. So I think one of the most important parts of being a cancer patient is the preservation of hope and the need for hope. And whenever we have options, we generally have hope. And we want to make sure that these patients realize that if they're seeing us, generally, there are some exceptions where the patients are not good candidates for our therapies, but generally, we can provide them some level of pain management, some level of improved survival, some level of hope. And I think that's really the most important thing is to very, very quickly get in there, talk to that patient, and discuss the fact that because they have some options, they have some hope. Once we've established they have some hope, we then move into what are their goals for treatment. As we see a patient that might be in their 30s, and, and you and I both know that that's becoming more and more common, our younger cancer patients uh, are getting to us now, uh, those are going to be perhaps a little bit of a different approach than somebody that's in their 70s or 80s. Not necessarily, but probably. Uh, we often find that these diagnoses are not just an individual diagnosis, but rather a diagnosis that affects the entire family. And so understanding what that goals of treatment for the patient is, is, is a really important part of laying the foundation. So once we've established there is some hope, we have some options, what are the options, uh, understanding how those options fit into the goals of treatment, and then making a decision that's very, very deliberate. Um, I think the other part, Sean, that I would say is establishing reliability very early, and the reliability is established even before you as the physician walks in the room. How did your staff deal with them? How easy was it for them to get an appointment with you? Did it appear as a team-coordinated approach? Are you coordinated with your referring physicians? Or is it really more of a one-off opinion? And so I think those type of expectations being set before you even hit the room are really important parts of establishing a relationship with the patient. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> are there any techniques over the years that you've developed Whereas you get into the room, you know, what you're trying to do is create that sense that you as the physician, even though you've just met this person, understand what they're going through, even though you're not necessarily going through the exact situation. But is there a technique that you use to help them understand that you relate to what they're going through? Yeah. Sean, it's all about personal experience. And as we go through life, uh, regardless of where we are in our physician career, we probably had some personal experiences that will allow us to immediately draw ourselves to what that patient is going through. So unfortunately, as we become adults, we face adult problems, and we've probably had a loved one that has been ill. Uh, I always think that letting the patient know that you've sat in at least the chair in the room other than the physician chair is important. Maybe you've supported a mother or a father, a brother, sister, a grandparent. Uh, maybe you've had a patient that really moved you that you became close to. I don't think we as physicians should be afraid of being close to our patient. I think it absolutely increases our risk, our emotional risk, but we should welcome the opportunity to participate in that relationship and that decision-making. So drawing it to a experience that you've gone through 
somewhere in your career is very important. We know uh, it's becoming more and more common even for we as physicians to face health issues. And I'm not that afraid really of sharing that with patients. Uh, I think it's important to let them know that we have been in their shoes. And when we show that vulnerability and that humanity, uh, I think the patient begins to increase trust. Uh, you know, I've been known to have a saying that there's a cycle of sacrifice and appreciation. And within that cycle of sacrifice and appreciation comes trust. Showing that you're willing to go out of your way and, and do things that perhaps maybe there are other parts of their treatment team wouldn't do and that that will be appreciated. There will build trust in that cycle. So that's, uh, that's how we approach it. And, and ultimately, Sean, I think humor helps. Uh, I know it's cancer and I know it's serious, but I'm always surprised that a little bit of a chuckle can really be worth its weight in gold. And there's usually opportunity to have a laugh, uh, not at anyone's expense, but more so at the situation and where you are and, and where you're going. I think that cancer patients also need to realize that, interestingly, they're not that unique. There are so many people that they're going through, and they like to know that other people are, are going through this with them. We always encourage uh, our local community support uh, group. We have an incredible one uh, right around our practice that reaches out to the entire Chicago area. Most communities have incredible cancer support organizations, and they do invaluable work in addition to the, to the work we're doing. So don't be afraid to reach out to those groups and get them involved in, in what's going on. Yeah, super advice. And I really echo your thoughts and experience on, you know, demonstrating that humanity to the patient and that you've gone through a similar or that you can relate to their experience or their family member's experience. And in my recent readings about physician burnout and wellness, you're actually speaking to kind of that foundation of empathy and compassion. And so as a physician, if you can be empathic and compassionate, one, the patients tend to do better and understand and track with you better in the visits. And two, it's actually protective for you as the physician over a long career, because if we lose empathy and compassion, then these patients become images, they become procedures, and that's exactly what we're not about in interventional oncology and interventional radiology. And there's actually good data to suggest that this is what will carry you through a long career uh, is this maintenance of empathy and understanding what's the situation that that patient's going through. So, I mean, that's just super advice. Um, do you have a recent patient or one that's really kind of you know, had a, a major effect on you over your career that maybe you could just share in a couple minutes with our listeners. Yeah, Sean, I mean, we, we shared a patient, you and I, very early on in both of our careers that we, we had that young woman that had the uh, sarcoma in her leg that couldn't walk and, and her only dream was to walk down the aisle and we did an ablation, which we were able to debulk. And that's one of the most moving cases I can remember. And I know we, we share that, but Perhaps it's because it resonates with me and having young kids. I think about a patient recently that was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma and in her local community was told, yeah, it's you know kind of a three to six month prognosis, pretty heavy duty chemo. 
And the way she was diagnosed, Sean, was upon cesarean delivery of her child, she had ascites. And if you can imagine having delivered your child and then in the operating room identifying that you have liver cancer, uh, that is a pretty up and down day. I remember the first consult seeing her because we have a very aggressive partnership with some of our liver surgeons. And they sent her because they felt that some element of liver-directed therapy in addition to systemic therapy would be really helpful. But the patient wanted to do everything because she had a sub-one-month-old child. She was actually nursing the child at our first consult. And I'll never forget the impact it had on my staff, the nurses and techs, the medical assistants, the secretaries, our billers, our managers, everybody in that office was really put in their heels because my clinics are generally filled with sick people, but not ones that are currently nursing their child in the consult room. We partnered. We had a very good conversation before the discussion with the patient. We knew our goals for treatment as a treatment team. We wanted to make sure that our expectations were aligned with the patient. We moved to liver-directed treatment, which really fit where she wanted to be. It fit where she wanted to go, where her husband wanted to go in their treatment uh, paradigm. And it allowed her, and this was a couple years ago, to travel to Rome, to meet the Pope, to share her family pictures uh, with the Pope, to receive a blessing that was very important to her. Uh, I recently saw her at a local community event uh, where she's part of our community cancer support network. She's not even from our community. She's from a couple hundred miles away, but she comes in to support the community locally. She's really contributing, and, and I would have expected this from her from the first time I met her. Uh, she wants to contribute to her family. She wants to contribute to her husband. She wants to contribute to her community of, of cancer patients at large. She's made an enormous impact, absolutely an enormous impact, uh, and it's, it continues to be a really moving case for me to, to be part of. Uh, it's a phenomenal story. And, you know, you identified something we talked about earlier, which is just making sure that your goals of care are really aligned with and in lockstep with the patient and her family. I mean, that's absolutely critical. As you partner with these patients to, you know, give them the appropriate therapies for, you know, what their goals are, you know, short term and long term. So appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to thank you for sharing your story, sharing your experience as an interventional oncologist, interventional radiologist, and really appreciate you joining us for this important educational activity. Thanks a lot, Sean. Appreciate the opportunity.